now presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcasts? Is your favorite podcast host, John Gabriel, and your favorite podcast, the king of stuff. Uh, thanks for joining. This is episode 401. Thanks again for participating in the Ask Me Anything episode that we did uh, last week. And now I got a few interviews lined up for the next few weeks. This week, it's Joel J. Miller. We'll get right into this. And I invited Joel on because there's this weird collision of my two worlds. I listen to a lot of podcasts on politics, obviously, and a lot of politics on orthodoxy. And there's one podcast called Bad Books of the Bible. The bad is in quotes. And it covers all those extra books that one would find in a Catholic Bible or an Orthodox Bible. It just kind of goes through the history. And I know to most Protestants, most of my life I was Protestant, they call them the Apocrypha or Deuterocanonical books. Um, but it's a really fun podcast. So then I found out the same guy has written for Reason Magazine, Nick Gillespie. He knows him uh, kind of the the early libertarian, at least my entire life, he's been commenting on politics from a libertarian perspective. So I just wanted to talk about this kind of nexus of faith and politics and what belongs in what sphere. And then we get into all sorts of other stuff. In addition to this podcast, he uh, has created a substack called Miller's Book Review, where he reviews most of the books that he reads, and he reads a lot of books. Um, he's also, his day job, the chief product officer of Full Focus, and you might be familiar with them. Uh, Michael Hyatt, I believe, is the name of the CEO, this total guru when it comes to setting goals and achieving goals, and they have planners and all stuff like that. So it's a pretty wide-ranging discussion. And after I chat with Joel, I'll get to the news of the week. Here's that interview. Very happy to have on first-time guest, Joel J. Miller. Now, correct me if I'm wrong about anything. Your chief content officer with full focus... Um, great chief, company chief for, product officer product officer okay yep. um, great company for those goal oriented folks out there yep. he's also the host of bad books of the bible great podcast going through all the well what i was always taught was the apocrypha all these books right. that didn't didn't cut it and so they weren't included in my good little lutheran bible back in the day um, but that's fantastic as well and then i found out he's written for reason and so that podcast and then writing for a libertarian leaning publication, I was like, oh, this is weird. My, I don't know, public policy world and orthodoxy worlds are kind of colliding. He also, you subscribe to a Substack, which does a lot of great book reviews. Thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I just thought it was just like I didn't have specific in a specific agenda at the start, but I'm like, oh, this is a weird crossing of paths. So how long have you, I'll just start with this. How long have you um, been Orthodox? Are you a convert like me or yeah. is it something? Yeah, long time? I grew up. Yeah. I grew up in a, like a, a Jesus people kind of church in oh, Northern okay. California. Yeah. And um, you know, lots of acoustic guitars and praise choruses <laughs> right. and the whole thing. And then, I veered into the Anglican world very briefly mm -hmm. um, and found while I was there, orthodoxy, that was in, say, 2007, 2008, um, but really realized what orthodoxy was in about um, 2009. Mm -hmm. And that's what set me over the edge. And I joined the church that very year. 
So, oh, wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, um, I attended the Cornerstone Festival. That's my mm-hmm. uh, Jesus people affiliation. But yeah, oh, I started yeah. off Lutheran as a little kid. And then mm-hmm. when I was about 15, became non-denominational, vague evangelical dude. And mm-hmm. uh, kind of went to Baptist churches for a while, but ended up kind of in the megachurch world. And then um, about two and a half years ago, I started exploring orthodoxy and finally got off my rear end and stopped just listening to podcasts and actually started attending liturgy. And so about two and a half years ago is when I officially entered and I still feel like a complete noob. There's too much to learn, but a great place to learn is a podcast called Bad Books, the Bible. What was the idea behind that? Well, I mean, we both come from a similar background. I Mm -hmm. ran into these books under the rubric of these are these are Catholic books, I was told growing right. up. And we're talking about like Tobit, the Maccabean books, Judith, books like those. And I I just thought that they were kind of off limits, that maybe they were bad mm-hmm. or defective in some way. And a friend of mine, uh, Jamie Bennett, he, he came into the Orthodox Church uh, before I did, maybe a year or two before I did, and uh, maybe even longer. I don't remember exactly, but he was there and we've just, we've always been close and we've always talked about things uh, relative to theology and everything else, politics, you name it. And one day I just thought, you know, what would be really fun would be to do a podcast where we just, without the kind of denominational trappings or concerns, just look at these books and talk about them. Cause mm-hmm. if you, once you're in the Orthodox world, for instance, they're actually in your Bible basically. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you, now you are exposed to them. That's what happened to me. And as I started reading them, I thought, these are awesome. How come people aren't talking mm-hmm. about these books? And uh, I know the background and why people aren't, you know, they're nervous about this thing or that thing relative to doctrine or uh, the influence of this or that. And I just thought, well, okay, put all that aside, just read them for what they are. They're, they're fantastic. And we should do a show on it. And Jamie was like, yeah, let's do it. So ancient faith radio picked it up and we've been doing it ever since. We're actually just getting ready to jump into the book of Judith. So that'll be really fun. Oh, great. That is a great story, too, because yeah. if you like reading classics anyway, um, they are, if nothing else, just great stories. I remember the first time reading the Maccabees and I'm like, whoa, this is epic. They're oh, putting absolutely. a smack down. I'm like, why isn't this? Uh, why haven't they made like 10 movies about this? Oh, this you can imagine if this were a movie, this would be directed mm-hmm. by Ridley Scott. You know, I mean, yeah, this is exactly this is an intense, intense book. And um, we, you know, we covered uh, first Maccabees uh, not too long ago. And it was, you know, it's a riveting read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, so if nothing else, uh, read these books. His podcast is a great way. kind of talks about the history, uh, when it was written. And um, yeah, again, it isn't like, and this is why you need to believe A, B, or C. You just kind of mm-hmm. talk about the books as books and a little bit about their history. I still remember being a little kid, probably junior high, I guess. And one of my friends was Catholic. And so I was flipping through his forbidden Catholic Bible. And mm-hmm. the one book name that stuck with me was Bell and the Dragon. I'm like, Mom, oh, yeah. why do we have that book? That just sounds cool. I didn't read it, of course, or anything, but yeah. I was like, Dragon. So I want to get into this one. Yeah. So Daniel, that's that's the book of Daniel. And, you know, uh-huh. the in the in the Protestant world, we follow the Masoretic text. And, and in that version, that story is not in it. And neither is the story of Susanna at the top of the book. And mm-hmm. in the in the Septuagint, the Greek version, which the Orthodox world uses and which 
was used to translate those versions that you find in the Catholic Bibles, they have those stories and their version of mm-hmm. Daniel and and they're great. You know, I mean, the story of Susanna and uh, Susanna and the elders is like a Perry Mason episode. It's right, fantastic. Right. Yeah. 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 It's really great stuff. And that was something that I didn't really realize until I got into Orthodoxy was the whole Masoretic, which is basically the Hebrew scriptures yeah. versus the Septuagint, which was created when like 300 bc or so it's when, it's not like a one-off thing it was uh oh okay series of translation efforts that went on for a quite a while all the way up till the all the way up till the new testament really uh oh, like okay. the last the last book probably in that bucket was the wisdom of solomon which is roughly mm-hmm. contemporary with the new testament right right and yeah so that was translated mostly at least in alexandria among mm-hmm. kind of the diasporic Jews that were there. Yeah. And uh, when you hear a quote from the New Testament, um, something quoting from something in a psalm, or it's usually from the Septuagint. And that's, that's just true. something I was just completely unfamiliar with. When Jesus is quoting something uh, from a psalm, it's like, oh, that's the Septuagint version. So I, all this stuff was really new to me, to say the least. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, now, Another thing, and so this weird nexus is you've been, I don't know if you are currently, but libertarian leaning at least, writing for Reason Magazine. Um, Where did that perspective come from exactly? Because I think I definitely have a lot of libertarian leanings, which has made me kind of a a weirdo and a pariah, I don't know, hanging out with a bunch of Republicans. But how did you come into it? Well, it's that's kind of my dad's fault. I grew up in uh, in a home where my dad was actually an organizer for the Libertarian Party, the party itself way back in the day. Um, You know, he manned uh, booths at the California State Fair to hand out literature Mm -hmm. and um, would uh, in one instance, he actually drove Murray Rothbard around. Uh, San oh, Francisco wow. when he had come to town. So there was this kind of like family connection. And my dad had tons of libertarian books on the shelves, economics mm-hmm. in particular, uh, von Mises and Hayek and all these guys. And I kind of absorbed all that. And I, I, you know, I've grown in it, but I still totally identify as a libertarian. And maybe even in some cases, uh, maybe more so even than I, I did as a younger person. I think the the older I am and the more I engage in politics, the more disgusted I am in politics. Right. And yeah. that kind of makes the reactionary part of the libertarian in me come out more. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, you're a Californian. I grew up mostly since I was about six, grew up in Arizona. And I kind of got that from my dad. I used to before conservatarian was a buzz term. Um, Mm -hmm. I just would call myself a Western conservative because it's kind of Mm -hmm. like the Mountain West perspective, the Barry Goldwater of just leave me the heck alone. You know, whatever you're doing over there, leave me out of it. I can manage my own affairs. I can handle stuff on my own. And I just think it was at least before a pretty natural perspective. And you still see that a lot in Alaska where a Republican usually wins, but there's almost zero Republicans in the state. People just don't register at all. We're independent. We're libertarian. Right. Because they just in their life experience, it's like, look, if I'm stuck halfway between Wasilla and Kodiak and uh, my car broke down, I'm not waiting on the government to fix this for me. It's just like, okay, it's February. I got to figure out how to stay alive for the next few hours and get some help. So I, I think you, when you do that, you just have a perspective that's different than if you 
live in Maryland and you can see Capitol Hill from your house and you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. you got to fix all this stuff for me. Right. Yeah, I think growing up in California, that was probably part of it for me also. I moved to Tennessee, where I've now been since 2003. And there's definitely an independent libertarian streak among a lot of people that I know here also. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just an attitude that politics is mostly dysfunctional. And if you can't trust the government to effectively run much of anything, why trust it to run the rest? And I, I don't want to say that entirely cynically either. I think there's right. there are legitimate arguments that you could make for or against what I'm saying right now. And I'm happy to entertain those arguments. So mm-hmm. I, it's not like uh, I'm doctrinaire in that way. I just having seen and having experienced the amount of failure on the part of state administration, I just don't have much trust in it. And then when you factor in all the ways that can. Sorry for that. Then no, okay. if you factor in all of the ways in which it can be distorted or turned against actual groups in the community, that makes it all the worse. So, like, for instance, a true libertarian they're not necessarily going to be immediately pro police. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I see things that unnerve me about policing. And I see the same things on other kinds of policies that conservatives may be all about. So there's it, it, it kind of goes both directions depending on who's getting hammered. And that's what concerns me most is who gets hammered. Yeah. And as far as too, and People, when I talk about government, a lot of times people say you're a cynic. It's like, no, I'm a skeptic. It's a, a very mm-hmm. different thing. It's just like, I don't expect the worst out of them because they have evil intent. Although I'm sure there are cases where they do. It's just not very efficient. I uh, right out of high school, I joined the Navy. And uh, the example that really brought it home for me is I was uh, stationed on a submarine. And one time we got back to port. We were at the dock and there was this massive, massive crate waiting for mm-hmm. us. It had been shipped from the D.C. area somewhere. And it was part of a tailhook assembly for an aircraft carrier, because as it turns out, our supply officer a few months earlier had put in this ginormous alphanumeric code and he got one of the characters incorrect. And so apparently they were like, well, okay, that's what they ordered and thought we could launch air launch jets off the top of the submarine. And not one person went, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So who knows what they cost to uh, build this thing, to ship it out there. Um, across the country and half the ocean. And I'm like, okay, if these guys are uh, running everything, it's just not going to go very well. So uh, my normal perspective is if there's a problem, the first thing I don't think of is how is government going to fix it? It's kind of like, okay, what do we do on a neighborhood level? What do the individuals involved in this do? What do businesses do? What do social groups do? The last resort is government. And uh, because you know, it's going to be very complicated, basically. Well, it will be because in part, you know, you're look you're looking at government to solve a problem that it doesn't have the nuance or the ability to really step mm-hmm. in. There there is complexities in human society that are that are too uh massive for a tool mm-hmm. as simple and direct as the government. It's like trying to fix a computer with a hammer and right. it just does a poor job most of the time. Yeah. And I think too, maybe having some type of religious perspective on things, too. I have never expected a government of any kind to save me. You know, yeah. gosh, look at. Uh, yeah, I'm sure some of these, quote unquote, bad books of the Bible say the same, but read the book of Kings. This was a bad king. This was an evil king. This was a wicked king. 
this guy wasn't too bad, but then his son killed him. Okay, this was a bad. <laughs> it's just like even yeah. back then, government was not um, very lofty. They weren't uh, held in the highest esteem. If you're playing the averages, uh, you're not doing too well there at right, all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, the, so when go ahead, I was just going to say the book of Maccabees actually starts with Alexander the Great and mm-hmm. it begins first Maccabees starts with Alexander the Great and basically says and his progeny increased evil on the earth. And it's kind of like right. that is the that is the author of that book's take on the value of of politics. It's not that right. Helpful. And there, there are several political things that happen in that book, ex- dip- diplomacy and exchanges with mm-hmm. this or that ruling le- uh, ruling leader. And it always goes badly. It never goes well. Not single time. The the great move was, you know what? Why don't we sign a treaty with Rome? Because if these guys right. are backing us, we got it made. And, no, see, that's, uh, yeah, a, that's we know the that perfect example. Out. That's right. the perfect example. The book holds that up like, hey, look at this. This positive thing happens. And then we're like, well, but I've actually checked the calendar afterwards yeah, and I know right. what happens. Right, right. It's exactly. It might have been brilliant for that time, but there's always going to be uh, after effects, side effects, unintended consequences, which right. uh, especially in Washington, nobody seems to realize are a thing. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's actually another side of the libertarian thing that appeals that uh, the Frederick Bastiat, you know, things unseen uh, observation mm-hmm. that a lot of times these policies are they're they're legitimate and they're, they're, they're certainly they mean well. And mm-hmm. nobody could argue with the aspiration behind most of the kinds of policies that get us into so much trouble. It's just that the ongoing effects and the after effects in the economy or through law or whatever are counterproductive and unhelpful. And because that hasn't actually been sussed out in advance well enough, we buy into costs that debilitate us later on that we couldn't have seen, although should have, in advance. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, now it's law. And, you you know, you can you can take something back to the store if you don't want it, but you sure can't take a law back to the legislator if you don't want it. It's you're stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like a poorly run tech shop. If uh, there's a problem with the software, let's just add a bunch. Let's add a patch on top of it and add a bunch more code. And uh, hopefully we will we will hide that flaw somewhere. But you never fix the actual uh, the actual problem that started it all. Well, there is a good reason um, my beagle is sleeping a few feet from me right now. And his name is Calvin. And Mm -hmm. uh, as a Catholic priest who lives near our house said, oh, what's the dog's name? When I first got him, I said, Calvin. And he gave me a quite a intense look. No, 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 no. Calvin Coolidge, not like uh, the great reformer. But um, yeah, I've just always had the perspective of he's had some quote to the effect of if there are 10 problems rolling down a hill, nine of them will veer off before they ever reach you. So just identify that one problem that you need to address and hopefully you'll Mm -hmm. get it right and can fix it a little bit. And yeah, I think that's my perspective as well. Now, how would you say, because something I'm doing, being kind of a newbie convert is trying to, I've considered myself a Christian for a long time, but trying to balance that uh, church and state question. And mm. um, and I guess that's why I can't get too passionate or angry or intense, because I don't view politicians as the, the final solution. They can't be the ultimate yeah. goal is getting this person or that person elected or defeated. Um, where does that kind of balance for you is kind of um, dealing with faith and being in and of the world, basically having to deal with the situation here, helping out in your community, 
voting the way that you think is best, but also realizing this isn't the end all be all. Well, I think, you know, the most important image to hold in front of oneself as an Orthodox Christian is the icon of the resurrection. If you want to know where things are trending, that's that's where it's going. And there are a lot of impediments along the way. And politics is sometimes one of those impediments, but it just is what it is. And so I look at it like this. Um, humans have a propensity to screw stuff up. And I believe not, not you and I, of course, but other people. Oh, they definitely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got a track record. <laughs> so humans Hopefully have my a wife is not listening to this episode. So, oh, you can admit it. It's OK. It's OK. She <laughs> okay. knows. She knows. Yeah. Oh, she knows. Um, humans have a propensity to screw stuff up. And so I think with the role of politics is to figure out how not to make that worse when when politics comes in, the whole idea here ought to be to restrain the amount of screwing up that humans can do while not compounding it. And that's where the state actually ends up getting into trouble because we forget sometimes as, you know, I think it was Thomas Jefferson in one of his inaugural addresses talked about that, you know, we haven't elected men as angels, um, uh, haven't elected men, we've elected angels. And mm -hmm. the challenge is that we sometimes forget that the the people that we elect and the bureaucrats that work for them they are also prone to screwing stuff up. Right. And so that that seems to me like a balanced approach. I I know there are Orthodox believers who are serious socialists. Mm -hmm. um, there are Orthodox believers who are serious monarchists. I have no idea how that works exactly <laughs> other than nostalgia for the Byzantine yeah, Empire yeah. or something. Right. That's not me. I don't get that. It doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. Um, what does appeal to me is the greater liberal tradition of human freedom that respects that humans have incredible potential and will, on their own accord, self-organizing, uh, create incredible things in society. And we should free them up to do as much of that as possible while limiting the around the edges where they're going to get into trouble, while remembering that the state can also get into trouble. I think we veer off too far if we just assume that because the state has good intentions, the end result will also be good. And that's that's a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Well, one thing about free individuals associating together to do great things. Tell us about full focus, because I didn't realize um, I was familiar with Michael Hyatt in his organization mm -hmm. before. But why don't you just briefly um, talk about full focus? What is your goal there? Well, we are a goal achievement company. You know, we mm -hmm. we help growth minded, uh, busy, growth minded people get clear on their goals and, and go make them happen. And we do that through a variety of tools. We have the Full Focus Planner, uh, which we sell, um, that is essentially a goal achievement uh, handbook. It is a goal achievement sidekick. It's a tool that you can keep with you to plan your days, to design your years, and go get stuff done that you want that matters to you. Um, along with that, we, uh, Michael has written uh, some books, uh, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus, that really help bring together the plan for an individual, a method for an individual to set goals and go get them done. So this this kind of combination of goal setting and productivity together as goal achievement. And along with that, we we have a coaching program where we coach small business owners uh, to go do that, along with uh, scale their teams and all their capabilities uh, that they're trying to do. So that's kind of like that's the big bucket of full focus. 
Right, right. And I know Michael Hyatt has been a rock star in the space for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, where are you located in Nashville? Uh, just south in Franklin, Tennessee. Oh, okay, Franklin. Okay, yeah, yep. not too far away. The, talk about nope. booming, uh, booming housing prices. I bet right now, so many people I know are moving to Tennessee. It's crazy. Yeah, well, California keeps sending them over, and uh, you know, yeah, having been a Californian, I'm I'm happy for for you know some additional neighbors. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I have to uh, considering my. I can't just make New Year's resolutions. I have to do the Excel spreadsheet that's color-coded in many mm -hmm. tabs, so I should avail myself of full focus of services. And I also wanted to get to, you have a sub-stack as well that's really good. Why don't you talk about that? Uh, yeah, it's called Miller's Book Review, uh, just millersbookreview.substack.com. It's um, a project that started last year. Uh, at the very beginning of the year, I thought, I'm going to review basically every book I read. And I read a lot of books, so I figured, mm -hmm. you know, I'll get at least 45 or, or so books reviewed. I ended up reviewing uh, basically 52 books last year. Oh, wow. Great. And um, the idea was, as I am moving quickly through my life, I'm not retaining as much of what I used to read. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll like capture it all. And then the minute I committed to doing that, I, what I realized actually is that I couldn't do every book I read. I, I actually read mm -hmm. 89 books last year. Oh, wow. That's great. And, uh, so I didn't review all of them, but I reviewed a bunch of them and I'm doing it this year. Also, I have uh, a weekly essay in which I share kind of like bookish diversions, I call them. So these would be mm -hmm. uh, shorter essays on publishing culture or uh, aspects of the book business. I, I was in the publishing business. And so um, before coming to full focus, so this is a chance for me to just kind of like talk shop, talk books, and uh, I love doing it. So I get to mostly review history. That's a lot of what I read uh, history mm -hmm. and then some current thinking books and things like that. But it's just a fun place to share what I'm learning and uh, to, you know, hear from readers about what, what interests, interests them. And it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think one way I'm always telling people to read because I didn't become I had always read, of course. I am literate people. Th those people who are <laughs> unaware of this fact, um, I can read. But uh, I just I didn't do it with much focus or purpose. And one year I'd read a lot and the next two I wouldn't read much. But I always recommend people read a lot, especially get some older books in there. And that's why probably I got into bad books of the Bible. When you get some older books, it really counter it's great counter programming to mm -hmm. the world around us to the life on twitter and life online and there's always an outrage of the day and sometimes there's you know the outrage of the hour that everybody has to be up on and have a hot take on and just reading about really really old times reading history and the like it's like okay first off we got it pretty darn good when you when you look at most parts no of history and yeah. secondly it just forces you to look at, oh, wow, people have been dealing with this for millennia. It's not just me. It's not just our society. Just kind of re readjust your uh, time frame and your perspective. Yeah. C.S. Lewis has an essay that started off as a, um, a preface to a new translation at the time of uh, Athanasius's On the Incarnation. Mm -hmm. And in that in that introduction, he makes the argument that that people ought to be reading old books in part because they have that different perspective. So wherever we're mm -hmm. prone to going wrong today, just culturally, like, you know, we all have assumptions and parts of our worldview that we're not even aware of. And mm -hmm. those 
those aspects to our worldview are going to be prone to some positives and prone to certain negatives. And we're not going to even see it because we're that's the, just the water we're swimming in. Whereas if you step out of your culture and the easiest way to do that, honestly, is, you know, with a book, because if you have a book that was written 1700 years ago, like on the incarnation, OK, fine, go pick up that book. That's that's a much different take on the universe than the one that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're reading an older book, you're getting a different perspective than the one that you have. And it may not be the right perspective, but it's not going to go wrong the same way you're going to go wrong. Right. And that's what that's what Lewis was saying in that. And I think that's totally valuable. I that mm-hmm. uh, The idea that you have access to teachers who are 300 years old, 500 years old, 1700 years old, mm-hmm. 2500 years old. That's amazing. We should be mm-hmm. availing ourselves of that more often. Yeah. And that book actually was the first Orthodox book I read. And that kind of began my journey. And I still think of that brilliant opening essay because, yeah, as as you noted, he just says, look, they're all wrong in their own way, but in a different way than we're all being wrong. All the assumptions that we're making these days. um, So it just gives you a different perspective. Well, it's been great to chat with you. Like I said, when I found this nexus, um, I think it was hopefully won't mind me mentioning him. You had some listener questions, and one of the questions on bad books of the Bible was from Nick Gillespie, and I was like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, wait a minute. My worlds are colliding because he, yeah. he was on this podcast a long time ago as well. So where can people find you wearing all the different hats that you wear? Well, the easiest place is Twitter. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. Joel J. Miller uh, at Twitter. Um, you can also go to JoelJMiller.com. That'll take you to like bad books of the Bible badbooksofthebible.com or uh-huh. um you could also find uh the substack at millersbookreview.substack.com and of course if you're really after achieving your goals in 2023 you want to go to fullfocus.co co and that's where you're going to find everything you need to know about how to go get what you want out of life yeah exactly i'm going to be checking that right after this i'll include all the show notes and uh let's move some units at full focus and uh Get some subscribers to the Bad Books of the Bible. It's really a great podcast. I really have awesome. enjoyed Thank it. You. So thanks for providing that to us. Well, I'm so jazzed to be here, and I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to share. That was awesome. Good to have Joel stop by. All right. I have some important news. Uh, last week on the Ask Me Anything, I mentioned that we had one cat and one dog. This was the equilibrium. That changed As of yesterday, I uh, posted a brief story about it on Ricochet. Um, Get all the latest there. But what happened is our youngest daughter was back from a freshman year in college in the Midwest. And when she was walking around the neighborhood, she befriended a kitty cat and then it followed her home. And then she put out food for it and water out for it and made a cute little bed for it. And it really enjoyed just hanging out on her front porch for about a week. Uh, We were thinking it was just very friendly So we're thinking this must have been a house cat at some point. So the missus put up a message on like the Facebook neighborhood groups. Like, did somebody lose a cat and posted photos? Nobody had lost one. So I don't know if somebody just like dumped the cat in our neighborhood. Who knows? But after about a week, one lady who lives like two, three miles away, walking distance, asked if, if she could adopt it because she had a cat and doesn't anymore. And Whatever. So it seemed like a nice lady. So so we were kind of bummed seeing the little dude not hanging out in her front door all the time, but gets a good home of its own. And it turns out uh, about a week ago. So she only had the cat a few days and the cat ran away from her condo where she lives. We're like, well, 
I guess that's the end of that. Hopefully it found another home and it's fine. Maybe it just wants to be outdoors. Until basically a week after we had given away the cat, it turns up at our house again at the front door. I don't know how it's found its way back. Spent another week uh, doing the um, amazing journey from the condo two to three miles away and getting back to our house somehow. So it's like, okay, this cat's picked us. Our daughter who discovered this kitty has decided to name it Piper. We didn't know if it was boy or girl. I ain't checking the plumbing. Sorry, um, I have my limits on understanding how cats work anyway, because I've always been a dog guy growing up. But after a visit to the vet today, it turns out it's a chick. So Piper is the name picked by my daughter. So that's what we're sticking with. I was trying to come up with uh, boy names, and I was thinking Ragnar Bringer of War would be a good one because very cute cat. So that would just be a nice juxtaposition. But alas, it's a girl, so we're stuck with the name Piper. So welcome. I'll have to come up with a name for Piper like Calvin the Wonder Beagle. But now we have two cats and one dog. We have no longer have the balance that we once enjoyed in this home. But cute little bugger. Regardless, let's get to the news of the day. One thing, the uh, 2024 campaign kind of sort of heating up. Donald Trump, he's got this fixation with... Uh, Ron DeSantis, and they caught him saying that DeSantis is bad because he shut down the state of Florida, and this is very bad. Um, if everybody remembers, yeah, he shut down for, I don't know, a month or two, if that, and uh, shut down the beaches and things because everybody shut it down, and then he reopened everything, and then everybody in the national press yelled at him for two years. So it's going to be kind of hard to sell this, but uh, excuse all the background noise. This was recorded on uh, Air Trump, but he's complaining about Ron DeSantis, here you go. Florida was actually closed for a very long period of time. Remember, he closed the beaches and everything else. You know, uh, they're trying to rewrite history. And to his credit, Ron DeSantis didn't take the bait. He was asked about it at a press conference, and here is his response. I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. It's been happening for many, many years. And if you look at the good thing about it, though, is like if you take a crisis situation like COVID, You know, the good thing about it is when you're an elected executive, you have to make all kinds of decisions. you got to steer that ship. And the good thing is, is that the people are able to render a judgment on that, whether they reelect you or not. And I'm happy to say, you know, in my case, not only did we win reelection, we won with the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has in the history of the state of Florida. I just don't think this is an issue where Trump can really get traction because despite uh, most of kind of the mega nation being very anti-vax and anti-lockdowns and masking and things, uh, Trump probably promoted that a long time and he didn't can Anthony Fauci. So whatever you think of it, this is kind of a weak point for him. I don't think he should be uh, mixing it up with DeSantis, especially DeSantis hasn't even declared. I hope he does. He would be the leading candidate in my mind. But who knows? We don't know what he's going to do. He might not run. A lot of people look at how insane it is to run for president and they aren't interested. Who knows? In other political news, um, moderate Republicans are very upset. I shouldn't just say moderate. I would say economic conservatives. Many of them are very upset because Mitch Daniels, former governor of Indiana, he um, has ruled out running for Senate. And some people are like, oh, he'd be so great. He'd be so great. He would have been so great. 12 years ago, maybe even eight years ago. But the guy's like 74 now. Give him a break. Let him take a break. Uh, he kicked butt as president at Purdue. 
He doesn't need to go to the Senate. Why bother? I, I know I've uh, ranted about this before, and uh, as always, I hope this isn't ageist, but we just have way too many 70-plus-year-olds. We need to branch out a little bit. Um, it's like everybody's super, super old, and oh, he was good 20 years ago. Yeah, he's well past retirement age now. Let him retire. That's okay. And I was very happy with most of what he did. I don't think he was aggressive enough on social issues, but... When it comes to dollars and cents, he was right on the money. He's done great at Purdue, a uh, very visionary leader for that institution. And that's been a benefit. I know my daughter, who is in the Midwest anyway, she was looking at Purdue and was very interested in that. And that's in part because of Mitch Daniels' leadership. So uh, I wish him every success, but uh, I'm not surprised that he wasn't interested in doing it. Um, some people were attacking him for even considering it. Now, if he wanted to run, he could run, but... It's kind of yesterday's news. I don't I don't really get the point of uh, pushing him into the Senate. It would be kind of like another Romney vote, which we already have that. I don't see the base going for it. And especially in Indiana, I don't even see him winning the primary, even though people pretty much like him there. He was great as a governor, but uh, his time has kind of passed. OK, and a very important issue. I do not have an audio clip of this. I would need a video clip. And this does not have a video component, which we'll talk about a bit later. Okay, <clears throat> there was this European figure skating champion, championship, and uh, they wanted to showcase a new person in women's figure skating. Mina Maria Entikainen stumbled out upon the ice. Um, it's a dude in his late 50s wearing a dress, and he said he always wanted to be an ice princess. So they were trying to pass him off as a woman. And the skating was really bad, like really bad. I haven't skated in 20 years and um, I could uh, skate loops around this human being. Um, I, I do not know this person's pronouns. I do not wish to offend for the sake of offending. However, not graceful. It reminded me greatly of a very old Saturday Night Live bit where Chris Farley was on a figure skating duo. And it, it kind of looked like that. Um Put people out there that are competent to skate, at least. And figure skating, you can be dude, woman, couples, whatever you want. It was an embarrassing display. But since I talk about Finland quite a bit, I was asked about this by a lot of people. There is a reason my forebears fled to the fruited plains of uh, the Midwest of the United States. And this is one of them. They could see even in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they knew what was going down, what was coming down the pipe. But also considering uh, gender issues, Nicola Sturgeon, she's in a bit of a sticky wicket. She is known as the first minister and really the top politician in Scotland. She's always promoting. She's always an activist for Scottish independence, which never succeeds in the polls. At least it hasn't yet. And she is extremely progressive. She's gotten into a bit of a trouble here because there is a sex offender, a very big dude who decided that he's going to identify as a woman now. So the Scottish government put this person in women's prison and uh, has admitted stalking a young girl, menacing people inside the various jails that this person's been at. So at this one jail, there's around 40 prisoners. Two of them were trans. Now, these are males. They dress as men. They don't wear makeup. They don't pretend to be female at all. They just wanted to get into woman's jail. And uh, some of them have been convicted for rape. So uh, the other prisoners are terrified. And excuse all the clicking. That's uh, Calvin 
smelling and sniffing things wandering around uh, the office area. But Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, she has been uh, very progressive on this issue. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, trans women are women. The end. You have uh, no question about it. And a lot of people in Scotland have just had enough, even progressives. Here is an interviewer asking her, what the heck is going on? And why are you now considering kicking these two dudes out of the all-female prison? My question is, are all trans women women? You haven't answered that question. Well, that's not the point that we're dealing with here. That's the question I'm asking. Trans women are are women, but in the prison context, there is no automatic right for a trans woman. So there are contexts where a trans woman is not a woman? No, there is... <laughs> there is circumstances in which a trans woman uh, will be housed in the male prison estate. Is there any the context in which a woman born as a woman will be housed in the male estate? Look, we're talking here about trans women. And I'm now asking about women born as women. Uh, I don't think there are circumstances there, uh, but so it's different for trans women. Well, yes, and I, I'm not. So they're not equal. That is not the, there is a risk assessment process done for trans women that takes account of the nature of the crime. It clearly, it, significant concern arises out of sexual crime and whether it's appropriate for them to be in a female prison or a male prison. And the other issue I wish to bring up was uh, the focus of my last article for the Arizona Republic. But it's something that's happening in Arizona um, a week and a half ago now. The new governor, Katie Hobbs, Democrat said, hey, you know how Doug Ducey was uh, busing a bunch of migrants out of the state and sending them all over the country and how that was evil and cruel and dastardly for him to do? Yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. Actually, I'm going to add in planes so we can get more people out of the state faster. It's a situation where the dog didn't bark. Nobody seemed to care. She wasn't mean. She wasn't cruel. She wasn't human trafficking. That's what Doug Ducey was accused of as was Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, as was Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Actually, there was a lawsuit when he uh, sent migrants up to Martha's Vineyard uh, and made a lot of press at the time that, oh, man, he's getting sued for human trafficking. Yeah, the judge just kicked it out. He says, ridiculous case. I'm not even going to hear it. So, uh, so much for that. But it's kind of interesting, the radio silence whenever a Democrat does this. Uh, Someone who's been doing this a long time is Jared Paulus. He is the governor of Colorado, Democrat, Um, but he's got libertarian instincts. So he occasionally does good stuff. He's been shipping out migrants for a long time, and nobody seems to care because he has a D after his name. Mayor of El Paso, that's fine. Uh, We are fine with you sending buses of people up to New York City because you are a Democrat mayor, and that's fine. And I was just saying, okay, we got to stop this. And I kind of presented it when I'm writing for the Arizona Republic, I'm writing to a center left audience. So I need to kind of put things in terms that that audience will get. And it's just like, look, I'm in favor of this policy, but uh, it doesn't matter if a Republican or a Democrat does it. If you're shipping immigrants out of the state to spare overburdened border communities, um, you have to be consistent on this stuff. And we've been hearing uh, Ducey bash for over two years about how mean he is. And all of a sudden, Nothing in the local press about it. Everything was great. There was one story that I saw, and it was praising it for how compassionate uh, the new governor's attitude is about it. So I was on the local NPR station about that on Monday. It was a whole thing. I I just really, it just kind of drives me nuts how patently obvious it is. If you have an R after your name, you're the villain, no matter what. Um, There's a situation, New York's mayor has been uh, very, more and more public over the past couple months about, oh my gosh, we're dying here. We can't take all these illegal immigrants. What are we going to do? We can't afford this. 
And if you look at the number shipped up to New York City, it's just this minute fraction of what you'll see uh, hitting every week in Yuma, Arizona or in Del Rio, Texas. It's just nothing compared to what those communities are dealing with. And he's saying uh, one of the biggest cities on Earth, one of the wealthiest cities on Earth, if not the wealthiest. No, we can't handle all these migrants a few thousand migrants that they're getting. Well, they had uh, some migrants were put up in a nice New York City hotel. He wanted to relocate them to a government facility in Brooklyn. Migrants said, nope, we're not leaving. And they're staging protests and all the Wokies are out in front of the hotel trying to block people from forcibly removing them. I don't want to see um, any of these problems. I wish people would go through legal channels. But Democrats have foisted this policy on the red states, especially border states. You guys got to deal with the issue. You guys need to get upset for you to do anything about this, apparently. Enjoy your sanctuary city policies, and please don't complain about border governors for uh, shipping people up north where you guys insist it's very important that we accept all these people in, even though they are violating the law and not going through the proper procedures. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, I'm thinking of doing an experiment, and uh, I don't know if it'll apply to this pot. It probably will. Keep your eye on this podcast in the future. I'm not great on video editing, but what I've thought of doing is a lot of people just watch interviews on YouTube. They don't listen to them as podcasts. So I was like, I should put them up on YouTube. So I won't put up the whole show like I'm not videotaping myself right now. Videotaping. Gosh, I'm old. Um, I'm not recording myself visually at the moment. But I was like, for the interviews, that might be good to put up as an option on YouTube. So uh, look out for that, uh, especially when I have uh, big interviews coming down. So that's one change we're making. Remember on, I believe it's March 11 on a Saturday, we're going to be having a Phoenix area ricochet meetup. Got to be a ricochet member, but come on down. Probably going to meet early afternoon at a brew pub and hang out and chat and uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, let me know if you're interested. Again, you got to be a ricochet member. There is a post in the member feed about that. So you can kind of toss your name in the hat there. And now let's get to the song of the week. I chose this one because the song popped in my head a couple days ago, and I haven't heard this album in 10, 20 years, probably from the very early 90s, probably 91, 92. I'm guessing band called the 77s are out of Sacramento. And what was funny is the guest today, Joel Miller, just mentioned them on Twitter yesterday or the day before. I think it was on Sunday. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've just been listening to that band and nobody has heard of them called the 77s. They actually were kind of sort of a Christian band, contemporary Christian music scene. But when they were signed, they were signed to A&M Records. And what happened is their first album came out, but it came out right after a little album called The Joshua Tree. So A&M focused all their marketing on nothing but The Joshua Tree and completely ignored the 77s. So they're on a mainstream label, um, kind of like bands. There was a few of them. YouTube was kind of one foot in the Christian contemporary market, as was The Call and a few other bands. Um, and they were one of those. So they kind of never got their break, but they're really good. So they were dropped from this label and got on that one. And that didn't pan out, but they're really underappreciated. It's, uh, the main guy is Mike Rowe, great singer, killer guitarist, and they should have been big. But here's a song from uh, their kind of uh, odds and ends album, but they called it Sticks and Stones. This is This is the Way Love Is. I couldn't find the words You understood I didn't find the time You in no hurry I would make it 
77s. Once again, we have a Spotify list. You can click on that in the show notes. Also, we have links to all the various places you can find Joel Miller. So check that out. Uh, Let me know what you think of a video component for the interviews. And that's it for me. I'll talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.